Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for This Week in Photography is brought to you by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash twip. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing service that gets you paid quickly and makes you look professional. Get started with a free package at FreshBooks.com. This week on TWIP, getting and staying inspired, should female photographers go to war? And Lynn's Baby releases some new blur. It's Saturday, April 9th, 2011. And this is Twitch. Welcome back to another episode of TWIP, your weekly dose of photographic inspiration. I'm your host, Frederick Van Johnson. And joining me today on the show are Mr. Ron Brinkman, Bruce Clark, and Miss Sarah France. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Hello. We got a nice mix here today. So first off, Sarah, you have not been on the show in forever. What, <laughs> what, what have you been up to besides shooting what? What do you shoot, like 13 weddings a week or something? <laughs> No, are you kidding? I'm I'm like a high end wedding shooter. We only shoot like fifteen a year. Oh so. yeah, that's right. You're you're you are. Uh, We're like twenty, but yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> so what's been up? What you been doing? Robert Evans was on a while ago. Um, oh and yeah, I, I saw that last mm-hmm. week. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you That's guys all? are sort of in the same area. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, no, we're not too far away for sure, and and we're tight. It's yep. good. So, um, well, I've been I've been shooting a few more commercial things. So I actually just shot a job for United Airlines. That's going to be in their um, on flight magazine. Get so, out of here! That's cool. Yeah, that was really fun, and um, ran into some you know celebrities and stuff in in the first class international um <laughs> <laughs> lounge you can't you can't just say i ran into some celebrities and not tell us who it was come on who was um it? yeah so i do you remember like i think it was called um party of 5 i'm trying to think of um his name for some reason that's like if you can't remember his name he must not have been much <laughs> of a celebrity no, it <laughs> is. and i like totally twittered about him and everybody was like oh my god he was totally my high school crush oh, it was carrot top wasn't it it was carrot top no. <laughs> no now i have to look up my own twitter to like think of his name thank you for putting scott me wolf. on the spot <laughs> it's what i do you know <laughs> was it scott wolf no oh um, the guy from lost no. Okay, Sarah, now we're all just going to guess. You remain on the spot, Sarah. We're just going to wait. I need some Jeopardy music to play well. No, you guys talk about someone else. It was Gabe Kaplan. Stop it. Welcome back, Cotter. <laughs> uh, see, you're showing your age there, Ron Brinkman. Bob so, Denver. <laughs> speaking <laughs> of getting... other guests on the show, Ron Brinkman John, is here. Wait, wait, wait. I figured it out. It's John Stamos. Oh, that dude. Oh. Yeah. So he he was on his way to play with the Beach Boys. You mean <laughs> he was to perform with no, the Beach Boys? The <laughs> <laughs> it's a family show, Sarah France. Come on. I live in Los Angeles, and I'm tired of this Hollywood talk. So. This is awesome. This show is off to a roaring start. We know how yeah, it's going to go. Yeah. Hey, um, have you heard that the oldest known Nikon camera is going to auction? Get, hey, back up. Back off. 
All right, Ron, what have you been up to besides enjoying the weather down there in Hermosa Beach? Oh, a whole lot of little stuff, none of which is that interesting and doesn't involve any celebrities whatsoever. Just <laughs> resting. You're still in semi-retirement, aren't you? No, I'm not resting. I'm busy as hell, but it's uh, just a bunch of little tiny stuff that's not even worth talking about. Someday it will be. <laughs> that sounds Hopefully. really boring. <laughs> yeah, it has like, been. You know, I get up, I walk to Starbucks, I say hello, I go back home, no, I watch like the TiVo, I, I take a nap. <laughs> sit in front of my computer for far too long. And you need to, you're not shooting? Is that what you're saying? No, I haven't. I haven't been shooting anything. I, I, uh, I planted some vines on the side of my house, and I did take a photo of them. <laughs> that sounds so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> It's, you need an intervention, Sarah. No, I think I'm you not, need to I'm hop in the car. Stamos, Ron, so. do you want to come on a shoot with me? You I, need I, to I help like him. I, <laughs> <laughs> I need to get you out or something. <laughs> I like the I like the pity shoot that I get to go on. <laughs> You're gonna find Ron in his apartment, fused to a chair. Like, come on, dude, get out and shoot. No, it's all good. Life is good. I'm just uh, I'm I'm actually pretty busy on on a, too many projects is the problem. So I'm uh, I'm trying to wrap up a bunch of stuff, but. Gotcha. Yeah. And also also on the show is a regular contributor, Bruce Clark, who is also the force behind all of the content that's going to be coming on this week in photo with our wave of editors that are going to be helping make the site more of a news site. Hey, Bruce. Yes. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? Good How's it good. going up there? In, you're in Alberta, Canada, right? I am, yeah, up here in Edmonton. Well, Edmonton. That's good. I Edmonton. just got back. We were, uh, my wife took me to New York for my 40th birthday. So mm. we were there a couple of weeks ago and just did some, uh, we'd been there before. So we just had a chance to relax and go off the beaten trail and uh, do, do a little bit of shooting while I was there. Um, there's a photographer that I know, Jason Group, lives in New York. So we got to stop by and visit his studio. He had a great story to tell. He, he, uh, his studio is across from where Annie Leibovitz's studio used to be. Uh-oh. And they used to figure out, they'd look down in the, through the windows to see when she was shooting, and they would figure out when she was uh, when she was shooting and figure out what frequency her lights were on, and then they would have some fun. Oh. <laughs> yeah, oh. see, that's just not right. Come on. <laughs> Is there no honor amongst thieves? Come no on. honor, yeah. So, um, so, yeah, so it was good. We had a good, good trip to New York, and I got to meet Robin Williams, so that was oh. my celebrity celebrity brush i have oh. yeah, yeah my my celebrity brushes aren't as interesting as you guys so i feel bad <laughs> so bruce you want to talk a little bit about the the contributor stuff that's happening and we're about sure. to kick off in this week in photo yeah you bet so <clears throat> obviously we've been uh put a call out for contributors a few a few weeks ago and we've had some really uh, great responses to that actually the response has been pretty overwhelming so we've been sorting through all of the applicants that have come in so far and we're kind of in the process now of, of selecting people uh, as contributors for the site. So be patient. If you haven't heard from us, uh, we have received your application. We're just going through them, and uh, we'll be selecting contributors fairly soon. We finally got our list all compiled, and we're starting to go through and make our selections. So, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. We're going to have some really good contributors to the site, I think. Uh, so there's a good uh, variety, and we're going to try and cover a lot of different uh, aspects to please uh, you know, a large, a wide, wide audience out there. So looking forward to yeah, and this, this is this is an important sort of evolution slash shift of this week in photo to date. I mean, if if folks have been following the show from the beginning, they may remember when the the blog was called twiplog.com or even before then we didn't even have a blog and then we went to twiplog and then we rebranded and now it's thisweekinphoto.com and 
Was that you barking, Bruce? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's my that's my little Neko again. Yes, awesome. makes an appearance at least once every show. Awesome. Uh, but now we're sort of shifting the gears again from the site being just a repository for the podcast episode show notes and that sort of thing, and maybe the occasional blog post to being more of a destination and being. Um, always updated with the latest news about photography across a wide variety of genres. So we're looking forward to this. This is a gigantic course correction or change in how the site is going to go. And we're staffing up on, like Bruce was saying, on writers to contribute to the site as well as infrastructure to handle the deluge of traffic that we're expecting. So keep your eye out for that. And if you're not on our list, please get on the mailing list at thisweekinphoto.com. I think there's a link there for you to sign up, and we'll announce that once it's, uh, once it's ready to go. All right. <clears throat> Before we kick this show off, a uh, quick nod to our sponsor. This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks. If you're a small business owner, a consultant, a freelancer, you probably love having your own business, but you hate invoicing like me. Typically, creative people like we are don't like to ask for money. Um, except unless you're Sarah when you're, <laughs> you're doing 15 weddings a year and you know, you're at the high end level like that. Uh, but if you're, you know, just a regular small business owner and you are more creative than you are business minded, um, a service like FreshBooks will help you manage your books. They've got automated late payment reminders to help you follow up on clients. If you invoice by the hour, the time tracking feature lets you log hours and consolidate your timesheets into one invoice. You can even send a physical invoice for a small fee and FreshBooks will print them and mail them to your clients complete with a return envelope. I think it's only a buck 39 per invoice or less if you buy them in bulk. And FreshBooks has a quick as an offer for the This Week in Photo audience. If you try out FreshBooks today for free, you can try it for up to three of your clients, again, for free. It takes about a minute to set up, account, set up an account. Just go to FreshBooks.com, sign up. And then when they ask you how you heard about FreshBooks, just mention that you heard about them on TWIP. And every day, FreshBooks will be giving away a birthday cake to one of our audience members. And it even does, doesn't even have to be your birthday. So go in there, sign up for a free account, you know, takes a minute, and your name will be entered into the drawing to, uh, to win a birthday cake. And they'll pull a name for this free birthday cake every day. Wow. Every day for an entire month. Wow. Did I read that right? They'll draw a name every day for the entire month. Wow. That's, that's a lot, a lot of, of birthday that's cake. That's a whole lot of cake going on. <laughs> anyway, check them out. They're at FreshBooks.com. All right, guys, let's jump into the show now. The uh, the main thing that I wanted to talk about on this show with you guys, because this is sort of the, the creative crew. We've got Ron Brinkman, who's the world-traveling, barefoot, picture-taken guy, you know, and then we've got uh, Bruce Clark, who's an... I, Bruce, I put you in the category of you know, active wedding photographer who's, who's good at marketing, who's good at branding, all that stuff with the Neko. And then we've got Sarah <laughs> France, Sarah France, who's down there in Southern California doing again, you've been in, you, Sarah, you've been shooting for how long? Like 10 years, 10 years, 10 years. Yeah. And, and I'm only 25. It's amazing. You, <laughs> wow. That Fisher price camera. That was amazing back then. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got a we've got a, a, a good cross section of of folks. So the topic that I want to talk about is how do you get inspired? And this came up because a lot of photographers ask me from time to time, like you know, especially on photo walks, what do I shoot? What do I do? What do I you know? And I'm thinking at a wedding, Sarah. I'm going to throw this at you first. So you're at a wedding, 
you've been shooting for 10 years, right? So you've seen, you know, I'd say a lot of stuff, if not at all, you know, at weddings and nothing will probably surprise you. How do you stay fresh? And how do you say, okay, for this particular bride, I'm going to do something different so that this wedding album doesn't look like the one I did last year? Um, well, the, I would say that's kind of easy for me just because my, my frame of mind typically is um, if I've shot something, I, I'm always looking for something different to shoot. So for me, it's kind of that sometimes I, I eliminate stuff from, from my archive that's still good, that I could still use, but I'm like, I've done that. I don't want to do that again. I want to do something different. So. Yeah. Um, so I try to, to mix that up, you know, you want to use some of your experience, but at the same time, like I really just want to shoot an image that is original to me and that I love, because if it's the same thing I've shot before, I'm not going to love it as much. Um, cause it feels like, you know, I did that already. Yep. So typically I, you know, I'm pulling from everything that I've experienced out in life, not even, not even being at that wedding. And I'm also pulling from that client for inspiration a lot. So, um, every client has a completely different story. They have different friends. They have different, um, personalities, the colors that they like, things that they're interested in, location that they've decided to get married, like all of that kind of comes in. And that's why I love shooting weddings so much. It's like so personal, so different, so unique every single time that it's not hard to be inspired by what's around you. I mean, they've spent, you know, $50,000 on, um, your surroundings for the day. So, uh, capturing that and like utilizing the, all the things that she loves, like really inspires me. So at every single wedding, I feel inspired by what they brought there. And then on other shoots, I'm, I'm pulling my inspiration, um, from my experiences and from, you know, I love watching, I love watching movies and I love watching, um, just video. I think in, in general really inspires me and, even music videos and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. I pull a lot from my own personality and personal experiences. And that's why it's so important to like find a photographer that you feel like matches, you know, the feel that you have and that you get along with and all of that, because that's what they're pulling from in order to create your images. So then yeah. on, on that, Sarah, you've got, you know, I know you're also a, uh, a trainer and you've got some training DVDs out on Apple's Aperture, you know, for post-processing, that sort of thing. So once you've got your raw material captured at the wedding and you're sitting in front of your computer and you're getting ready to build the book and go through and pick your, make your selects and tweak them and all that stuff, how do you stay inspired there? How do you stay creative there, you know, instead of saying, okay, I'm going to apply preset sarah b to this one and you know and go through it how do you do you do you put like thought into each image or is it more of a mechanical sort of time to make the donuts thing well i think that's really a learning and exploring time that's kind of the of what i feel like is a lot of what the art time is so with every wedding i go through and pick out what my top like hundred images are my favorites and those are the images I spend my time on. So um, the other, you know, 900 images are done by somebody, are done post-production-wise by somebody else because those need, you know, basic adjustment correction and need to look great. But I want to spend my time in the 
in the art side of things, giving them what they paid for. And that's doing the post-production on those like hundred images and kind of getting more creative and, and artsy with those. So a lot of that is like experimentation. I, I I'll spend a lot of time on one image, just screwing it up and fixing it again and like making it, you know, trying a bunch of different things on it. So I feel like that's when I do a lot of learning and exploring is like on those favorite images that I know I'm going to really put out there and say like, this is my image. Like I shot this, I did the work on this, this image is, you know, what I produce for my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Now Bruce on your side, so you're, you're also shooting weddings as well. When you, what's, what's your process when you're, you know, I, from the engagement shoot and you've booked this client and you're, you're at the engagement shoot and you've been shooting for a while as well. And you're like, okay, I need to do something different for, for these folks. This is the, presumably in theory, their first time and last time getting married. Let me, uh, let me do something cool. And, and Bruce Clark is from, how do you, how do you get to that level where you're producing original work? I think a big part of it is, is getting to know my clients really well. Um, Sarah, you know, brought up, you know, she, she looks to her clients a lot of times for inspiration. And I try to do the same thing. So I think it's important to really get to know your clients and get to know their personalities. Um, because if you, you might have an artistic idea that you want to try with them, but if it's not really a good fit with their personalities, they're, they're probably not going to enjoy the images. So for example, if, if I'm working with a client and I would love, I love shooting in more urban type environments but if they're not into that and i take them you know to downtown you know whereversville and shoot them in some back alleys and that's not their their tastes they want to be more you know maybe they're more country and they want to be outdoors in nature they're they're maybe not going to enjoy the images maybe as much so i'm always shooting for my clients and not necessarily shooting for me um, certainly, if they're you know if they're wide open and they give me free reign to do whatever I'd like to do, I still want to get to know them and find out what you know what inspires them. What are some things that they enjoy doing together? And you know, are they more urban or or are they more country? Or you know, what's their personalities like? And then I try to incorporate that uh, into the shoot and find a good location that we can go to that will uh, you know that we can work with. Yeah. Now, now, Ron Brinkman, um, when you're, I think we talked about this before, but when you're, say you're going to South America or wherever, you know, wherever the, the destination of choice for you right now is, where do you, do you just kind of throw yourself into the situation and say, okay, I'm going to take my camera and get a 51.2 or 1.4 and just go get some shots and what I get is what I get? Or do you sit down and plan out what you're going to do and get inspired that way? So, like, okay, I'm going to go get this waterfall and, and be inspired around the waterfall. Yeah, how, what's your process? Uh, it's, a, it's a little of both. I mean, uh, definitely part of traveling is just kind of, for me at least, it's just kind of diving in and seeing what you come across. But, you know, I, I won't go somewhere without having some idea of certain things I want to see. Uh, and, you know, whether it is, okay, here's this waterfall and I'm going to, you know, that's going to be the trek that I make on this one. That's going to be the specific destination that I want to have as my, my quest, if you will. Uh, I, in a lot of ways, listen to the other two guys talk, it's, it's sort of the same thing in the sense that you really have to get to know your subject, whether it's uh, a client that you're shooting a wedding for or it's a destination that you're you're going to be visiting, you know, part of it, and it doesn't necessarily all have to happen ahead of time, just like I don't think it happens with the, the wedding photography. It's sort of as you're shooting and as you're exploring, you kind of wrap your head around what is this subject really all about? What's the interesting thing? And, and you'll find something that's you probably never 
planned for going into it that ends up being the thing that's sort of your your favorite out of the whole deal. Uh, I think that's true across across the board. You know, I've talked to uh, wildlife photographers, and this it's very much the same thing where you know you you do you get to know the subject, the the animal you're shooting, and a, a really good wildlife photographer. And I talked to Scott Bourne about this. You know, it, it's not just I'm going to have the right gear and a really long lens and make sure, you know, it's, it's, it's much more about where do I need to be? What are their migration patterns? What's, what's the behaviors? What time of day are they going to be active? So I think across the board, that's really what you know, everybody, when they say you're a good photographer, kind of, if they're not photographers, I think they sort of think, well, you must really know your way around the camera. But I think it's so much more than that. And it's hard to explain that to people that aren't really photographers, that it's, it's so much more than, just understanding the technical side of the camera. It's more about understanding what's it going to take to be in a position and, you know, not just a physical location, but even a mental position to get the shot that, that is something special. Yeah. So what, what, if you were to give one tip to the This Week in Photo audience, Ron, what, what would it be in terms of like today, you know, go out, grab your camera. What should they do in terms of being inspired to go shoot something in their own neighborhood? Well, you know, first and foremost, it is just go out and do it, right? You know, you, you if you're sitting on your couch saying, oh, you know, I should be taking photos, it's really hard to get inspired. Whereas, you know, you just, if you just say, I'm just going to go out there and I'm going to have a camera with me, but I'm just going to go walk around and then something will come up. Because once you're in the position and you've sort of overcome the inertia of not being out there, then I think that's really it. You know, the other thing with, with travel photography in general is it's so much about lighting and you know if you want to get one tip on that it's like wake up early or or do a lot of stuff right at sunset kind of thing yeah yeah i, I definitely agree that's magic hour right yep. um sarah what, what would your tip be for the aspiring photographers out there who just want to grab their camera today and and get inspired should they look at a magazine and go try to recreate that should they go to your website and look at your stuff what what do you think Sarah France. I, I, I heard, oh, there she is. There you are. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you can, were you were fading you away. Now? We can hear you. Now. <laughs> no. Um, so I was on a forum talking about this. Miraco has a has a new forum for for moms basically, and they were asking me kind of the same question. And um, I think it's the the thing that works the best for me is really thinking of your ideal shoot, like being like, oh my gosh, it would be so amazing if I could like shoot a giraffe with a ride or if I could, you know, get a girl to be under this bridge I saw that I love. So if you see something, like make that happen, like dream big and and create that shoot. So that's not just going to sometimes just like happen. The inspiration comes when I see it and then I make I make the steps necessary to like make that shoot happen. So it depends on if you're creating it or just going to try and capture stuff. But um I agree you have to get off your couch, but you also have to like prepare and actually make things happen for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Preparation is key, right? Yeah. Bruce, what about you? You got anything to throw into the ring there? Sure. I think there's I mean there's so many different things you can do with photography that uh, one of the things I think you could do and I do this if I'm traveling uh, a lot of times I'll give myself a little bit of an assignment 
and that helps me stay inspired and creative. So, for example, uh, you know, I might go out and say I'm going to focus on macro photography this time around, and I'm going to look for the little details in things. Um, and then maybe the next time I go out, I want to really focus on getting some awesome uh, black and white photography. So, you know, sort of each time out, I might give myself, particularly if I'm going to the same location um, over and over, uh, I'll typically try to give myself a different challenge each time. And uh, I've been experimenting a bit more with video, so that's another way to kind of go out and, and experiment and try different things. So I think just realizing that it's not just about one doing one thing with your camera, that you can do so many different things nowadays in, in, in the world of photography, that just going out there and trying some different things uh, each time you go out and giving yourself little challenges is a good way to motivate yourself and get out there and stay inspired. Yeah, it's a free your mind, right? Sarah, what, what do you what do you take out there when you're say you're just going out to shoot for yourself and you're you're heading out to the beach or something? What uh, what gear do you take if you're you're not sure what you're going to shoot, but you just want to kind of veg out and and shoot stuff for Sarah France? Oh, that's a tough one because I I'm a prime shooter, so you can't just like grab a twenty four to seventy because I don't own one anymore. I sold it, so um because I never used it. So I I typically will grab my small bag and I keep in it a few primes and it depends on where I'm going but I'll usually take my 24 um my, and my 50 and either my 35 or my 85. So, you know, sometimes I'll just grab one and just take the 24 and shoot that all day long or just take my 35. I mean, my 35 is really my favorite lens, so I use that a lot. I use that a lot. But typically I bring a couple just cuz I like to have a couple different options because I, you know, I don't have a zoom, but I like uh, that. I like that phrase. I'm a prime shooter. It sounds so elitist. I love it. What, what does that? What does <laughs> well, that mean? And why? I'm a prime shooter. <laughs> I know. I know. It means you don't shoot with zoom lenses. But why? Why don't you shoot with zooms? And what, why did you? Uh, why are you restricting yourself to just fixed focal length lenses? It's a sharpness or what? Yeah, a sharpness and depth of field. I mean, I I think having a shallow depth of field is definitely something I've just been in love with for so long now. And once I started shooting kind of, you know, I mean, I still own a zoom lens. I have a 70 to 200 and and I definitely have some uses for that, but it's big and it's heavy and I definitely I thought, don't I thought that was grab the, it to go out. Isn't the 70 to 200 the like de facto standard lens for weddings is, or am I wrong? For some people, yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great lens. Don't get me wrong. I just really have found myself going to consistently going to my primes in the twenty four to one thirty five range. So, yeah. um, the seventy to two hundred definitely is awesome when you like can't move and you're in a spot and you have to be there. Um, and it's a gorgeous lens. It does some like incredible stuff. But I, I've just really fallen in love with the look and the feel and the sharpness and the shallow depth of field you get from prime. So, um, not that I, I mean, I didn't like switch just being like, okay, you know, I want to be a prime shooter. I just found that I was doing that. And the only reason I sold my 24 to 70 is because I hadn't used it in a year. So if you aren't, you haven't used something in a year, like sell it and get yeah. something new, yep. do something different because you're obviously not utilizing it or start using it again. But there's a reason if you're not using it that you're not going to it. So I love that. So Bruce, what's in your what's in your kit of when I'm just shooting for Bruce Clark? What do you what do you tag along with you? What do you carry with you? Um, well, for my most recent trip when we went to New York, 
I found myself, just because I didn't want to lug around so much gear and really just wanted to free myself a bit more, I pretty much just had my 24 to 70 on and my 51 too. And uh, that was pretty much it. I had my 70 to 200 with me and uh, most of the times left it back in the room and didn't, uh, didn't carry it with me. So mm. mainly my, seven, or my 24 to 70 and my, and my 51 too. And I, I shot a lot with my 51 too and just found myself... Uh, you know, having to use my feet more okay. and uh, yep. you know moving around, and it, I, I I really enjoyed shooting with it, zoom. limiting myself to not not so much gear. <laughs> yeah, zoom zoom with your feet. Ron Ron yeah. Brinkman, when you're, I remember when, on one of your last trips, you were talking about you were even considering just bringing a point and shoot or something. If I recall, yeah, correctly. I actually did that on my trip to Nicaragua. I, I went ahead and thought I'd see what it would be like to not have a, a DSLR with me, and it was not bad. I mean, it was a fairly easy trip and. There wasn't all that much that was super, you know, photogenic that I was, you know, I knew I had to get that ultimate shot of it. Uh, and to be fair, a buddy of mine, one of the guys I was traveling with, did have an SLR, and so I was able to borrow his on occasion when I really had to get a shot. But um, now, you know, for me, if it's if it's like I'm just going to go out and, and fool around or something, what I'll usually do is toss on like a, a weirder lens, like you know, a, a fisheye or or like my you know the the 10 to 22 zoom that's uh, you know only on the crop sensor cannons. Uh, but just getting an, an ultra wide lens is. You know, it, elim- it eliminates tons of shots that you you just can't get when you've got a really wide lens on there. But consequently, there's a lot of other shots that you're sort of forced into making up and trying to see things from a new perspective. I, I would, you know, that, I mean, speaking of ways to kind of get a little creative spark going, I think everybody should just go rent a like the eight, that eight millimeter fisheye that uh, Sigma has. You know, go call up bar lenses or, or lensrentals.com and get that for a weekend and just force yourself to wander around with this weird fisheye lens on your camera and you'll find all kinds of different ways of looking at things yeah yeah that's a it's a great tip all right guys let's move on to uh some of the some of the news um this first one i know you guys really don't care about because i think everybody on the panel shoots canon right bruce uh, yeah. you're, you're a canon shooter everybody except me Yep. <laughs> so, Did you put this on the list? Uh, who put this on the list, Bruce? <laughs> um, I, I did. <laughs> yeah. I thought maybe Frederick would want to buy this. <laughs> yeah. Right. So for two hundred and thirty thousand. So let me read this. Uh, Nikon originally started. This is what Bruce wrote. Nikon originally started as a lens company in 1917 and didn't make its first camera till 1948. The oldest surviving Nikon one will be auctioned off and is expected to fetch somewhere around $230,000. Now, Sarah, you're going to go plunk down a quarter of a million dollars for this, right? No. (laughs) (laughs) I bet it goes for more. You know, really? I, yeah, I, if I if I was like Doctor Evil and I had you know unlimited income and I wanted to put this in my living room under a glass case, I might do yep. it. You know, I, so I bet you it goes for more. I mean, it's you know, it's a it's a, a landmark, and and yeah, the thing is when you get something that is like you know things that are brands that people are passionate about, like Nikon, I can totally see that if this turns into a bidding war between a couple of wealthy and passionate Nikon shooters. Mm. But. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's interesting. That's just, just so weird. Like, the whole Canon, I mean, we, we I think it's trailing down, at least for me, but there was, like, maybe a year or so ago, there's all this Nikon versus Canon, you mm. know, one's better than the other. It seems to have died down a little bit, but you're right, Ryan. There's this, there's this 
sort of irrational yeah. fanboyism yeah. Any, that, that goes around you get the stuff. Something that is people can sort of rally around and, and identify with and become passionate about. That's uh, yeah, I you know I think it's up. I think it's Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I think it's <laughs> there is definitely some of that. Yeah, you spend all this money on this, so in your mind you need to justify that you did the right thing and that the other guy <laughs> did the wrong thing, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> and the, and when it's not working for you, you you come up with the reasons why it's still you know yeah. Uh, you do the right thing when yeah. you're cursing it. I know. So, uh, so, so, Sarah, what's the oldest camera you have in your collection? Um, a 5D. <laughs> <laughs> you are a no, uh, you're a recycler, I, aren't you? You get rid of this stuff yeah. when it's when it's done, aren't you? Well, in my garage somewhere, I have like a Nikon film camera, but um, not really for any reason that I'm you know don't think it's really worth anything or you know, not really worth much in the market. So selling it seems. Like not yeah. a great, you know, not a big deal. So yeah. he's gonna um, let it sit in yeah, there and depreciate, a, right? <laughs> I definitely don't hold on to gear. I do appreciate. I love seeing and uh, checking out old cameras, but I'm I'm not really one to have a bunch of stuff sitting around my house either. So I typically don't buy stuff like this, unfortunately. So I'll let you guys talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, Bruce. What's your What do you have in your collection? Do you have a uh, the first Canon sitting under a glass case somewhere? Yeah, no, no, I don't. But I do actually have some old camera. I'm not a big. We hate tchotchke and and we're we're not big collectors of things. But I actually have recently started to kind of hang on to some older older cameras and things just for the nostalgia of it. And I think it's it's neat to to see some of the older cameras and play around with them a little bit and. Uh, I have an old, really old antique uh, Kodak camera that's the sort of the old accordion sort of style, mm-hmm. full flip out. And uh, I've got an old Konica C35 film camera, and I've got an old Brownie Jr. And I've got the, one of the first Polaroid cameras, like the original, original ones. Yeah. Um, a lot of this stuff was hanging around in my parents' basement, and I was sort of over there the other day, and I was like, hey, do you still have a lot of those old cameras? And sure enough, I sort of went into the cupboard, and there they all were, and so I snatched them all because they were just sitting there gathering dust. So I yeah, kinda... that's that's where garage sales are the are gold mine for photographers. People just yeah. don't know what they have. What about you, Ron? You have any any old gear laying around? Or are you a, uh, are you I, like I, Sarah, the recycler? I, I am typically the recycler in terms of any modern gear. I have a couple of old cameras that you know I think were my dad's or something that I just sort of picked up somewhere along the line when I was doing the same thing, helping clean out the house, and. Um, you know, it's kind of a fun thing to have sitting up on a shelf, but I don't really, I couldn't even tell you what models they are. I think one of them is, is an old brownie, and there's another one that, you know, they just kind of look neat on a shelf. But yeah, I it's am like photographer the, bling after a while. You just want yeah, people to know that, hey, I, I have old stuff, too. I think it's more a matter of just, you know, you toss it up there so people can say, oh, you're a photographer. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what about film? I, I had lunch with... Um, Heather what? Champ, um, a couple of days ago. She's the, uh, she previously was the community manager over at Flickr. And, uh, she pulled out this film camera that she had a, a, a pinhole lens cap fitted onto it. And she just like pulls it out every now and then and does really cool artistic shots, you know? And some like, and she showed me some of the shots on Flickr, of course. Um, I think she's H Champ on there. Um, but, uh, amazing stuff. And when she said, she's like, do you shoot film? I was like, no, I don't think I've shot film in the last 15 years or so. And she looked at me like I had an alien sitting on my head. You know, it's like, 
And, and nah, was, you should be looking at her like she has an alien sitting there. Well, she shoots digital too, of course. But she's but she's like, well, film is enjoying like a resurgence. I think that was the point. Film is enjoy, enjoying a resurgence, and it's kind of back to basics. And I kind of yeah. put her on the on the ahead of the curve type thing in terms of where things are going. So I'm like, well, maybe I should pull out that old Nikon F3 I have and put some film in it. What about you guys? Have you, what, Ron? When was the last time you shot film? Uh, ages. I mean, I yeah. Well, once I bought a digital camera, I just didn't really see the sense of it. There's just, it's I mean, like I get a certain it, you know? romanticism about shooting film and you know exposing the halides on that one permanent piece of you know cellophane, right? And I get that, and you know, I could see that if you had a whole lot of time and you really wanted to make that your hobby, great. You know, I mean, it, it's cool. I, I I definitely respect that sort of thing. It's just sort of. Uh, for me, not having a whole lot of spare time, I don't need another hobby, and yeah. uh, I, I kind of am more results oriented. And you know, the image that comes out of it, and I guess I know enough about post processing to probably be able to recreate most of the look that you would get off of a piece of film. Yeah, yeah. I think her point, to. her point was just the uh, what does she call it? Just the uh, the randomness of it. You know, being not knowing what you're going to get, and then being surprised and delighted when you get something that's cool. Right yeah, and I, and I agree with that, and and I think there's still, uh, you know, there's there's some some iPhone apps that kind of give you a random results too, and I know it's not exactly the same thing, and there's also just the sense of go find a a weird lens or a beat up lens or something and toss it on there and see what you get out of that too, and I think that's perfectly valid, perfectly fun. Hey Sarah, are you gonna add to your your wedding price list like some like a film? line item or hey you want me to shoot your entire wedding in film you know add a move the decimal point over and we'll do it that way <laughs> yeah yeah move the decimal point over sure i'll shoot whatever you want no i um no i i really respect you know i i shot film it's not something i i don't know how to do and i definitely loved shooting it when i shot it but it's so funny to hear you guys talk about like the randomness and being so excited about what you get like that used to be all we shot on so mm-hmm. you know yeah. you'd be like get the film back just to make sure the wedding was perfect you know now you kind of check it as you go it's definitely a less stressful day with um shooting digital than shooting film for wedding photographers you know but well, uh, also with the randomness um, conversation, I think we're going to get to this in a little bit. But the composer, you know, the lens baby composer is kind of used for a lot of that, too. So, I I mean, I think it's awesome. Whatever your creative inspiration is, for some people, it's going to be film. And for other people, it's, you know, using digital in different ways. So, um, if it's film for you, awesome. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. What about you, Bruce? What are you? Uh, you ever gonna revert back to film or add that to your price list? Mm, I, I don't see it happening. Um, I have <laughs> shot with film in the past, and actually, as I was looking back on my shelf here to see what my oldest camera was, I realized one of the cameras that I have has a roll of film sitting in it, and I have no idea. I got to look and see how many shots are left on it. So it's about probably been about nine or ten years since it was used. So I'm really curious what's on that roll of film. Mm, it might be so, incriminating. Yeah, I mean, hopefully not. But uh, I think one of the other things that um, I mentioned here in the, in the show notes was uh, one option uh, people are turning to nowadays with some of their maybe their older DSLR is actually taking and getting them converted to shoot, say, infrared, for example. Um, there's a company there called uh, LifePixel that can uh, convert your old DSLR uh, to be able to shoot infrared. So that might be a neat, uh, and again, another creative way to stay inspired and, and get some use maybe out of that old uh, 
that older equipment that maybe is sitting there gathering gathering dust is converted into do something like shooting for infrared. You know, that's that's the use I found for my old Canon cameras. Actually, no, oh, yeah. no offense, but <laughs> my my 10D, one of my 10Ds is uh, is now modified for infrared. It's great. Oh, awesome. It's do you shoot paint. with it a lot? Um, I don't. I think I may do it today. You, you inspired me, um, but it's uh, it's that little LCD on there. It's so hard to go back to that little tiny LCD on yep. those little cameras yep. once I you've been shooting that. with the giant ones. It's like. Really? We used to get by with this? This is insane. Yeah. <laughs> did anybody else, we got excited earlier in the week, did anybody else get caught by that April Fool's joke floating around that R35 no. website? Oh, no. is that the one that you sent? Yeah, no, yeah. describe it. What was it? So basically what it was, uh, this design company, I think they were in Germany, had put up this website for April Fool's as a, as a concept. And the idea was it, was it looked like an old film canister, but it had a... It would, it would load into an old film camera, like film, but it was a digital, supposedly digital sensor, and it was going to allow you to convert any old film camera into a DSLR and then take the <laughs> canister back out of the camera and plug it into your computer via USB. And uh, it turns, of course, you know, found out about it about three or four days after April Fool's. And uh, so didn't think about the April Fool's uh, aspect. And then <laughs> I get this excited email from Bruce. Yeah. You guys seen this? We got to put this in the next show. <laughs> And of course, wow, 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 wow. I thought it had to be too good to be true, but the site looked pretty impressive. It was. They spent a lot of time and money on that site just for an April yeah. Fool's joke. It's, yeah. you know, I'm glad it didn't have a buy now button. They probably would have gotten in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I know we talked about this before, but another really great use for older cameras, kind of, you know, not old cameras, but you know, something you're retiring is inspiring like an up and coming photographer to give them something to kind of practice with and use and i've been thinking about that a lot lately just because one of my nieces is graduating high school how is that possible but anyways she's <laughs> gonna say that <laughs> i will just let that one go by um and she she wants to be a wedding photographer it's like her her dream is to be a wedding photographer so trying to figure out the best ways to enable her to do that and um thinking about you know she's still going to college I'm making sure of that. But um, I think just trying to help her get started in the business and put her off on the right foot, trying to help her figure out which cameras to get, getting used cameras and learning is a really, really great way to utilize some of those cameras that are in the in-between, like the, you know, I don't know, 20D, 30D, whatever. Yeah, no, I that's agree. a great point, Sarah. Yeah, there's a lot of I think uh, organizations too that will take older cameras as well and uh, give them to uh, you know different groups so that they can use them. Um, I think hundredcameras.org we're, we're doing something along those lines. Yeah, yeah, hundred hundredcameras.org. That's a um, it's a a charitable organization that essentially takes used cameras out to impoverished nations and distributes the cameras amongst the the people there and let they teach them how to use them and they the people go out and shoot images of their sort of environment and they take the images back and do a gallery showing where people can purchase the prints and then the money goes back to the village so it's uh it's pretty interesting just search on this week in photo for 100cameras.org or go to 100cameras.org and um and you'll see what it's all about um let's move on to this next story this is a little bit controversial so sarah i'm glad you're on the show today because i want i want a female opinion of this a female photographer's opinion so basically there were concerns raised over the safety of female war photographers after an incident in libya 
Um, and after basically the, after the release of four New York Times photographers in Libya, the question was raised whether women should be sent into war zones due to the increased danger they face, or should we just say, you know, everybody's facing danger? You're, it's we're all equal. What do you, what do you think, Sarah? I mean, is it should should preferential treatment be given to female photographers who are going into war zones, or should they be treated egalitarian? Well, I think you have to consider that that they are different and they're treated differently over there than they are here as well. So the question isn't like whether or not they should be there. Like, absolutely, um, they should be there. So I think it's fine if the if the photographer wants to go and cover that, they just have to understand what uh, it is that they're dealing with. And the article actually is um, the woman speaking about if you know she should be there or not and kind of talking about how she handles being over there and, and covering the stories and yeah. and she does things that the that the male photographers don't need to do she has a male escort with her at mm-hmm. all times who speaks the language but also she's able to get into places that men can't get into so on the flip side i mean i think a lot of people are concerned about her safety absolutely but we're concerned about anyone's safety who's over there and i don't think that that's any different um, she's chosen to be there and i think as long as she's smart about how she's handling herself over there and understanding the culture which is really what it's all about you know um it's just different than how we how we treat women here and how men and women interact and anytime you're a photographer in a different culture you have to understand that even I mean, this is obviously completely different, but even when I'm shooting a a wedding, I have to understand the culture that I'm involved in um, because a lot of times, you know, I'll shoot a a Jewish wedding and the men and women will be in separate rooms and and then they'll come in and greet each other. So there's different things that, uh, that you have to understand. And especially for women, in general, we have to make sure that we are protecting ourselves um, in different ways. And I think that's what it's all about is just the culture and and how she's interacting with that culture in, in the fact that she's a woman. But if you only have male photographers only over there, you really are only getting a male perspective because they only have access as a man would not not access like a female yeah now ron where do you fall on this i mean is it should we or should i know it's it's i'm generalizing but in general in when sending female photographers or or allowing you know if there's such a thing female photographers to go put themselves in harm's way in a war zone should there be restrictions on that no i don't i don't think i i'm actually i don't think there's that much controversy over this i mean i think Sure, some people may get a little worked up and saying there shouldn't be women over there, but I think that's probably the the Neanderthals talking. I mean, realistically, you know, this is... (laughs) I mean, war photographers are are a special creature in and of, you know, male or female. It takes a certain mindset that I really can't even fathom at some level to to put yourself into that kind of a position and be so driven to really get, get the story in that kind of a condition. And, I mean, anybody, male or female, that is willing to do that should absolutely be allowed to do that and and supported to do that and, and I think you know the article and Sarah's right this there's a perspective that you need to get when you're being a war photographer and and if 
all you have is men doing it, then you're incredibly biased as to what's going on. So I think it's, I think it's, you know, <laughs> I don't want to say it should be required that women would go over there, but I really do think that, you know, any sort of, there, there should be no question that women have as much right and responsibility to be there. Yep. Yep. Um, Bruce, you have anything to add to that? Nothing to add to that. I agree with everything that uh, that Sarah and Ron had to say about that. I think, yeah, definitely having that, it brings a totally different perspective because women are going to see things and, and look at things a different way than, than men will. And I think it's really important to, to have both sides uh, told. And as Sarah was saying in, in the article said that, uh, you know, female photographers have access to certain areas that male photographers uh, might not and vice versa. So I think having both over there and, you know, I you know, kudos to those guys for going over and doing that job. Any, you know, reporters and photographers and journalists going over and going into some of those situations. I think, uh, you know, I can't fathom some of the things that they have to witness and that they see, but I think it's very important work that they're doing in, in documenting what's going on over there in the world. And, uh, yeah, I just can't imagine doing it myself, but, uh, you know, highest respect for those that, uh, that do that because yeah, it's got to change you as a person uh, witnessing some of those things. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to something a little bit more positive in story number three. Um, lens Baby, the, the folks that create the Lens Baby uh, lens that you can shift around and create interesting depth of field and bokeh effects with, um, has they've released a new version of the Composer, which was that sort of ball and joint high-end version of the Lens Baby. Now they've uh, upgraded it to have a metal swivel ball and focus mechanism and a sort of a dampened, a dampened focus ring, so it acts more like a regular uh, DSLR lens um, for more like smoother and precise control and all that stuff. Now, Sarah France, um, I have a feeling you've played with at least one of the previous versions of the Lens Baby. Where do you, where do you fall on Lens Baby, like using this uh, while you're creating the image versus doing your focus effects and post processing? Um, so I think that the lens baby can be really, really cool and interesting, especially in this kind of time when we're so fascinated with like tilt shifts, um, not only tilt shift lenses, but like tilt shift actions, tilt shift, like, um, iPhone apps. So there's a, there's a ton of that out there. And I think it's a good time for, for lens baby to kind of be around and, uh, it's, it can be a really great lens. My only my only reason, I guess, I that I don't currently use one is just that typically with the kind of photography that I do, um, I'm not doing like artsy kind of fine art kind of stuff as much. So um, I find that I want to make sure I get the shot, and with the with the lens, baby. It's just a little more finicky to kind of play with it and and play around and kind of create something artsy and, and different. So you're like if you're doing a once in a lifetime shot of the rings together <laughs> and they're never gonna be there again, you don't wanna you don't wanna risk that on, on something that you can't one hundred percent control. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can with the composer more than definitely way more than you used to be able to with the older um, versions. But I still feel a little like uh, uh, it's definitely cool for the creative and artsy side of things. But um, I have a hard time adapting it in my own workflow, but in and in my own process. So that would be my. Got it. What about yeah, you? What I'm, about you, Bruce? Uh, go ahead, Ron. Well, I was just going to say, you know, I, I, mean, I think it's cool and it kind of goes back to if anything that gives you inspiration, great, right. go for it. And they're not 
super expensive. They're, I, actually, I think they are a little overpriced personally because you're kind of you're getting a you're, you're getting something where you're not that focused on the optics anyway. Uh, it feels like there's room for somebody to come in with like a, a twenty dollar lens, baby. But um, I will say that you know I, I look at a lot of photos, and I don't think I've ever come across a photo where I'm like, wow, I really like this photo. Oh, it was shot with a lens, baby. You know, it's a certain look, and I get that, but it doesn't really. I don't know. Once you've seen it, it doesn't really do that much for me. I guess it feels like it's uh, it's a one trick pony. Mm. Well, and I I was thinking about this when just looking through the stories, and I was thinking, have I ever seen like an award winning photo with yeah, exactly, a lens? Yes, movie? Exactly. That's exactly. That's the point I'm making. Is it's just I don't ever recall being like, wow, you know, that's a great shot. Oh, it was shot with a lens, baby. That's cool. You know, I just don't ever. See, you know, there's a lot of photos where I'm like, this is really a great shot. And I don't think any of them have ever been from that kind of a lens. So, And maybe that's just me. You know, Maybe there are people out there that just love that kind of a look. But. I have a feeling there's going to be a lively discussion in the, uh, <laughs> in, yep. in the, in the what do you call it, the comments on this post. So, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I, and I'm happy for to... somebody to point me to like the best damn lens baby yes. shot I've ever seen. I would, I would love to see that because, you know. The problem is I just see so many that come out of that that are sort they all look the same and you know yeah I get it it's a really you know particular focus area but beyond that if ooh. you're this week in photo listener if you are a fan of the lens baby and you have some killer shots or know of some killer shots post a link to them in the comments area of this blog post on the twip what yep. is this one ninety six and uh, yeah let's let's see them and let's let's I, talk about I will them. be happy to be proven wrong and that there's you know, magic happening there. So I'm uh, I'm in this in the links in the show notes for this blog post. We're going to put a link to Craig Strong, who's the inventor of the lens baby. And I uh, I sent him a DM earlier today. I want to see if I can't get an interview with him to ask, to to sort of address Ron Brinkman's curmudgeonness. <laughs> <about> <laughs> no, and, and again, I will I will reiterate that anything that gets you going creatively and it's cool and it gives you a different perspective. And, you know, it's fine. I, just, I mean, I've never bought one. I don't think I've ever even shot with one other than picking them up at a trade show floor. Wait, and, you wait. Know, so you're unqualified to say that it's not I, a good I am. device. I, I'll admit it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and like I said, I'm happy to be proven wrong. It just feels like it's sort of, it does what it does, but that is such a, a limited kind of thing. It feels like, you know, you, you could give me a lens that's that's got duct tape over everything but one little tiny hole and it would give me a unique kind of a look. Oh, no, it's different. Gonna... <laughs> it's different. I mean, the, the lens baby, in defense of lens baby, they've got inserts that you can get different kind of bokeh effects with it, like yeah. you know, hearts and stars and all kinds. Of, it's a creative tool. This is like HDR. I mean, you can you can misuse HDR, you can misuse a lens baby. So, But if you, in the right hands, like someone who's been shooting, say, 10 years weddings or whatever, they can they can do magic with it. And you, but you can, Sarah, for example, could do magic with an iPhone. You know, it's just it's an it's a tool that you use to manipulate light. And once you master light, you know what you're doing. You can do some magic stuff with it. Bruce, and I and I get that, but I, I guess I'm just saying that in some ways it's. And I, don't, I I really don't want to be bagging on lens baby because I do think they're cool. And you know, someday I may go pick one up too. It's just sort of I, I I guess my main point is I would love to be have some really great lens baby shots pointed out to me. Bruce, are you a, are you a lens baby user? 
I, I don't personally own one. Um, I have shot with them before when we were in Italy last year. Um, Kevin Kubota had a couple of Nikon and a couple of Canon ones uh, in, in his bag. And so we all played around with them. And uh, it was neat. I think, again, for you know, looking at a wedding shooter, for example, I've seen quite a few wedding shooters that will use the lens baby to do some detail work. So yeah. when they're shooting, you know, particularly if maybe the, the room is maybe not the prettiest room you've ever seen or, you know, something, you know, you can, you can make something look a little prettier maybe with something like the lens baby where you can uh, do some cool effects to something that might otherwise not be as, you know, as interesting. So I've seen a, a fair number of wedding photographers that will use a lens baby for the you know shots of the cake and some of the wedding favors and the, the table decorations and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I I liked shooting with it, but I, I didn't run out and buy one afterwards, so I, I couldn't see myself using that lens enough to justify going out and buying one, even though they're not that you know they're not that pricey. But I think definitely the effect you can get with them is is pretty interesting. So yeah, we we Time definitely place. definitely have to uh, see if we can't corral Craig Strong. And if you want to if you want to ping craig strong on twitter he's at uh twitter.com forward slash strong craig and uh, even if he wants to send us some sample ones to play with <laughs> yeah. you know it'd be fine too <laughs> i'll prove myself wrong if he wants me to i'm, not, I'm not happy well after all this i don't know guys come on yeah. well the other thing i was thinking about the lens baby is like there's times when i'm out doing like a photo walk kind of thing i could totally see myself wanting to use that but that that's like what i said like a fine art application kind of feel to it you know so with um there's usually i find some kind of cool texture or something and i, I want to take a fun shot of it it seems like the shots i've seen with the lens baby i've really loved um have been like that kind of shot yeah yeah. All right. Here's a uh, time for another quick nod to our one of our sponsors. Uh, this podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. They're the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than seventy five thousand downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. If you'd like a free audiobook of your choice, just head over to audiblepodcast.com forward slash twip. And uh, download a free tr- copy and try out the service. That's audiblepodcast.com forward slash TWIP. Okay, um, it's time for some listener Q&A. Every week our producers scour the TWIP forums at thisweekinphoto.com to find the best questions for us to answer on the show. And here are this week's questions. Question number one, Sarah France, I'm going to lob the football to you. Take it away. Um, okay, so this one is from listener Mike S. His last name must be just S. Um, <laughs> and he writes, back in the quote-unquote old days when I shot film, we had a sort of rule of thumb that is, if you weren't sure of the exposure, it was better to overexpose than to underexpose. When in doubt, overexpose. I'm wondering if that might still apply to digital. Even with the ability to see results quickly, sometimes it isn't quick enough. Some photos can't be reshot. If I'm shooting actions, for example, there's only a fraction of a second to get the shot. And it seems that Photoshop can do some good things to fix bad exposure, but it would be good to know which works better. Um, so my answer to this is, is actually it's, it's not really good to, to, when in doubt, overexpose with digital. So actually for me, what I typically do is um, when in doubt, I would underexpose rather than overexpose because the difference between um, film and digital 
is really their their range. Um, but with digital, what you find is that when you've overexposed, the information just becomes a big block of of white. Yeah. And there's no detail to bring back there. So um, typically what I try to do is when in doubt, I, I underexpose a tad because um, typically what you'll find is you don't have a lot of just solid blacks that'll totally block out when you underexpose. You can like bring that detail up a little bit more. So if you're overexposing, especially in my field, when we have brides with you know, white dresses, you typically lose that detail and it goes completely to, to solid white and you can't bring it back. So, um, I would say, um, when in doubt, get the exposure, right. But if you can't get that, (laughs) then definitely don't overexpose, but underexpose and and fix it in post-production. Yeah. I, I tend to agree too, because I think, you know, like you said, when it's with digital, when it's Overexposed, it's gone. I mean, that data is just not there. It's just white, uh, which is which is you know one of the advantages still of film is that film has this sort of fall off curve on the top and the bottom, where there's still a little bit more detail. You know, a little bit more exposure gets you a little bit more detail. And there's stuff in the in the highlights. Um, so yeah, you have to be aware of that. And you can often pull stuff out of the shadows if it is underexposed and use a little bit of noise reduction and, and get something back there. And the other thing to remember too, though, is that uh, if you're Shooting in RAW, what you see on the back of your camera in terms of what is overexposed is what is overexposed in the JPEG equivalent of the shot. So even though your camera may indicate that the shot is has some areas that are blown out to white, that's probably not, or it's not necessarily the case if you go back into the RAW file and start pulling the data back in. You've usually got uh, a stop or two up in the in the headroom there so yeah kind of get get familiar with your camera for that piece of it that's a great point because a lot of people don't realize that that image that they're looking at on the back of the camera is just a a jpeg representation of what that raw file is yeah it's, it's what it's you would just get quickly generated for your just to preview what you saw it's not the yeah. real thing yeah on my on my long list of things that it still blows me away that camera camera manufacturers haven't figured out how to do right would be uh the ability to set that display on the back to show you the full dynamic range of what you've captured, not sort of the JPEG equivalent. Yeah, that's just, yeah. Hor- just horrible. Horrible. Yeah. horrible. <laughs> it's well, true. Though. And there is a lot. I mean, really, when you have a shot that I've had a few shots that were like blown out and I was just like, there's no way I'm bringing that back. I pull it into Aperture, do some quick adjustments and I'm like, wow, you can't yeah. imagine how much detail is actually there. But as a general rule of thumb, I definitely would not go that route. Yeah, yeah you don't want to rely on it. Absolutely. So yeah, yeah get it, get it right in the camera. Be be understand the light, understand exposure, and then you can do wonders with a good exposure rather than trying to fix a bad exposure. Right? Yeah, I mean the problem you run into when you underexpose, especially too much, is you get noise. So. Yeah. Um, there's problems on both sides, but if I was going to deal with one over the other, I'd rather have the information and have some noise with it than not have the information at all exactly. to work with. So. Yeah, and the noise reduction technologies that have come along in the last couple of years have really, it's pretty impressive what you can do with uh, with noise reduction. I know, I, I know uh, Sarah, you're an Aperture user. I know Lightroom has really ramped up its noise reduction uh, tools in the latest version. How's, uh, how's Aperture handle uh, noise reduction? 
Yeah, they've done really well with a lot of our noise reduction options. And then oh, there's also plugins and stuff too. So even if you've exhausted everything that, that Aperture has to offer, which um, is quite a bit, you can still go into like Noise Ninja or something without ever leaving the application. So there there's a ton of, of um, noise reduction options, which is great. Yeah. Okay. Um, this next question, number two, is about long-term storage of photographs. I'm going to toss it over to Mr. Brinkman with two N's. Yes. Uh, Joaquim T., I guess his last name is just T., asks, if I want to store my pictures for ages, what should I choose? I have, I now have two hard disk drives where I store my images. Are these the safest ones to use or are flash drives better and more reliable? Um I mean, generally, yeah, probably flash memory is going to be a little bit more long-term reliable than than a moving hard drive. But really, I think that's the wrong approach to it. Generally, I, you know, my mindset on this now has become uh, number one: everything should be backed up in three places. Uh, one of those places should be the cloud, and anything that I'm keeping on physical media, like on a local hard drive, I will continually upgrade hard drives and do that. So I don't. I have no. I have nothing that's offline anymore. I don't have anything that's sort of backed up and stuff stuck on a shelf. I just and you're keep... using Mosey, right, for your backup service? No, I hate Mosey. <laughs> <laughs> I... You use the word hate. Wow. Uh, <laughs> what are you, what are you using? Backblaze. Backblaze. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Mosey Man, Ron, is... you're gonna have a lot of hate mail this time. <laughs> Ron, Ron doesn't like Lynn's no, baby, and I'm he hates sorry. Mosey. <laughs> Mosey, no, Mosey. I have taken personal offense to. They screwed me. Too many times. Okay, any any TWIP anyway. listeners that use Mosey, feel free to sound off against Ron Brinkman and yeah, comments. Just stop using it and start using Backblaze, <laughs> which has been 100% reliable for me and, and just wonderful. Point being, uh, I don't keep anything offline anymore. I, you know, I, Everything is online just because, you know, how many times, for those of us that have been around for a while, how many times have you think you have something sitting on a tape and then you realize years later that you have no idea what tape drive can even read this format thing? Uh, I, I just want to point out that you said tape. I was, no, I, that's that's why I made the point, and I think the same thing is going to be true of disk drives at some point. You know, my new my new Mac Air doesn't have a place to stick a CD into. That's it. true. That's very true. Uh, yeah. So to me, the only thing that really makes sense is you know spend the money, get yourself whatever it takes. You know, a terabyte of you can buy a terabyte hard drive for sixty seventy bucks now. Just keep everything online. I mean, you have the advantage then of it's always there for you, but you also have the advantage of you know that. You know, as you upgrade your system, you'll just keep upgrading the the storage, and everything will be kept constantly on a modern media. Uh, so I, it, it doesn't make sense to me to have something sitting on a shelf anymore. So, Ron, let me let me ask you this: so when you so keeping all your stuff on Backblaze, um, <laughs> the presumably terabytes of stuff, yeah, but a little over a terabyte, I have. Yeah, there, okay, yeah. a terabyte. So, how long did that take to get up to the to get on the server? I mean, but so what? I mean, yeah, it probably it, but, took. Uh, well, I mean, when I first started, it wasn't a terabyte, but yeah. But just it, generally, it, it how long how long did it take for you, for you to get to the point where it said complete? Everything's yeah, so, up. Several weeks, absolutely. And then what happens if you lose, say, you know, some catastrophe happens and you lose your local storage? You, you're, it is up there, but if you need to grab this one photo, say of this Playboy shot that you did, and you want to restore that, how do you get that back? If it's just the one photo, it's easy. You just uh, you know they have the online web thing, and you can just go up there, and it's just like browsing through your own file system. You see if, it. What if it's everything? You want to pull? You lost all your local photos. You want to bring everything back. How long would that take you? Another couple of weeks? Uh, no, at that point, you just call them up and say, "Send me a hard drive," and they'll 
You oh, know, okay. So, that's so, cool. Okay. You know, send you a hard drive charger for the cost of the hard drive, and that's it. Uh, and so you just get it mailed to you. No, that's cool. That's yeah. Cool. No, it's nice. so you know that's and and like I said, it's I I'm a, has to be backed up in three places kind of person. So it would be, have to be pretty catastrophic for me to ever need to pull stuff like pull my entire archive back down from there. Yeah. You know, I'd have to like the house would have to burn down first so that my computer and the external drobo would both go away. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's nice to know it's there. So. Um, so, yeah, so then, you're Ron. You're not necessarily making money from your photographs, but but Sarah, you are. And your when you snap that shutter, it equates to a dollar amount, and which means your images are irreplaceable. I mean, not that anyone else's aren't, but yours represent life changing events. So what what do you do to back up and make sure that if someone comes back to you and say, "Hey, I want another album," or "I want this," or "I want some some originals," how do you make sure that those are available to you? Um, so we have a, we have a couple ways that we did it. We do it. We have a local drive that we keep all of our active events on, um, and those are backed up onto a server. So I basically just have a big tower with ten terabytes on it um, that we back everything. We back them up to, and they're not. I mean, they're all individual drives. So we keep like a half of a year on each drive, um, and the drives are you know anywhere from a terabyte to two terabytes each and then we keep an exact duplicate copy of each of the drives so we've got kind of two copies in the server and then we also use pictage so we upload all of the events to pictage and they keep a backup for us as well so we can always pull images down from pictage and i've definitely done that in the past um when it's easier <laughs> but on, on pictage you can't are you pumping up your your raw files or just the jpegs we're we're sending them the JPEGs, but typically what my clients are calling like looking for is something like a five by seven, eight by ten size or something we're putting into an album that's smaller. So I can always grab a JPEG from from Pictage that is easy to access and um is resized to like I think they do like a three hundred DPI eight by ten kind of thing. Yeah. But typically that is fine. That's like totally fine for the size that we're looking for so um that is really nice and convenient very cool bruce clark what about you what are, how do you make sure that your all the images that you're shooting whether for personal use or professional use are available at any given time yeah i'm pretty anal about it i couldn't imagine anything worse than losing you know say a client's wedding um so i have a home server and i have a drobo and then i also have external uh drives and so what I do is uh, I back up to the home server, I back up to the Drobo, which itself is then backed up. Um, and then I also back up to external drives that I keep uh, multiple copies of in different locations offsite. Wow. wow. Yeah. And then I also lately this last uh, year, what I started doing was taking the high res uh, JPEGs and just putting them all up on Flickr in a private uh, gallery for each one of them. Um, and then just letting those upload uh, and then they're they're there as another cloud copy just in case, but they're not publicly accessible. They're just in a private gallery. And since <laughs> Flickr has no limit on the number of photos that you store, it's uh, it's another reasonable backup uh, backup alternative. Very cool. So, all right, excellent. All right, guys, it's uh, it's at that time on the show where each of the guests gives their pick of the week. And remember, a pick can be software, hardware. A workshop gear, whatever, as long as it is photography related. Uh, Sarah France, let me give you the honors of going first. What's your pick of the week? 
Sure. So my pick of the week is actually two companies that um, merged a while back and started uh, the integration process and just launched kind of an, their integration this week. And I've been wanting this kind of integration option for probably six or seven years was kind of when I first um had kind of the ideas for it. So ShootQ is is one of the companies and a company we both know well, Pictage. So they started their integration process this week and um, you can now have both of those software, both of those online um, companies and, and work with both of what they offer for like the same price as what you just used to get Pictage for. So it's like $99 a month. And you get Pictage and ShootQ, which are two of the main um, things that I use to run my business. So I was pretty excited for their integration because they now have options for you to be able to take the products that are in Pictage and offer them to your client. And it loads in the back end what the expense, your expense and stuff is. So you can really quickly see without having to go and figure out you know, what your profit is on each of the products and they load in a, a photo for you and all sorts of back end stuff that I'm really excited about. So it's cool. Very cool. Shoot Q and Pictage integration. Very cool. Yeah. So you can go to shootq.com or pictage.com to learn more about that, right? Yep. Either one. Um, and they just sent kind of a thing out to the members, uh, just to let them know about the different things. There's a ton of integration. I just named like one of the things, but uh, if you like book a job on ShootQ, it'll now like load it into Pictage and ton of great stuff. So yeah, check that out. Very cool. All right, Bruce, what is your pick of the week? Well, I had uh, I had one picked and then I realized that uh, I think Catherine Hall had made this a pick just a little while ago, but I'll mention it again because uh, I just used it recently and it's the uh, HDR FX Pro. Uh, plug-in from mm-hmm. Nick Software. Yep. I was do, I did a, a commercial shoot a few week, weekends ago um, shooting some show homes. And, uh, of course, it was a bright, sunny day out there, and I wanted to be able to capture, you know, the interior but also uh, the exterior of the home. So so I shot uh, shot them all uh, HDR and then used HDRFX Pro uh, with Lightroom to bring them together and create some HDR photos. So just I'll, I'll give another nod to that particular application. And the other one, I, so I figured I'd call an audible on this one. And uh, there's another app that came out just this week, and it's from Tamron. And uh, it's it's uh, basically it's an online application. They call it uh, My Photo Exhibits, and it's an online another photo sharing application. Uh, the neat thing about this one is it lets you set up things in sort of like a virtual exhibit, so you can set it up almost like a like you're setting up like a little uh, 3D art gallery. And uh, put your images up on the wall and you can choose, you know, what the ceiling and the floor and the furniture and everything looks like in the room. And then you can uh, pick frames and then put all your uh, images in there. Um, And then there's an iPhone app for it that allows you to go in and view either your photo exhibits or others' photo exhibits. And, uh, you know, we talked a a little bit earlier about inspiration. might be a way. There's some neat – I've seen a few of the galleries in there already that people are putting up. And it's, uh, it's quite neat, actually. So there's some interesting exhibits that people have put up around particular themes or topics. The only uh, thing I found with it, though, is in order to set up the exhibit, you have to do that from your computer. And the iPhone app is only for viewing the photo exhibits. So if you took a bunch of photos, say, with your iPhone or or uh, something, and you wanted to create an exhibit out of those, it doesn't look like you can do that right from the... Uh, from the iPhone app itself, you have to do that on your computer, and then you can view it. But it was kind of it was kind of neat. So I played around with it a little bit uh, earlier today and set up a quick exhibit of some of my 
New York photos that I took. And uh, yeah, there's some neat, there's some definitely some neat exhibits on there that people have put up. So, and that's it. It's at uh, tamron.myphotoexhibits.com. Excellent. And Mr. Ron Brinkman, what's your pick? My pick is an iPad app, uh, which I haven't actually used because I don't have an iPad yet. But it's uh, it's an app that's made by a TWIP listener, actually, and it looks pretty cool, so I'm happy to spread the word on it. It's called Photometa, just photo and then meta as in metadata. Uh, and really what it is is just sort of a photo viewer that's focused around uh, getting you all the metadata that's in an image. Because, uh, you know, when you're on an iPad or an iPhone, you can look at photos inside of your library, but there's not any really good way to, to see what's in the metadata, all the... Uh, all the additional information about the photo, so this gives a nice sort of display of that information. And uh, if there's if there's uh, GPS data in the photo, it'll give you a little map of it. Uh, and it even works if you're browsing the web as well. So if there if you come across photos uh, on the web that you want to get metadata off of those, assuming they haven't stripped it off, then it can also track those down. It's a free app, uh, and then I think I think that gives you basic functionality, and then you, there's a upgraded version for a couple bucks that gives you sort of the full-on, all the metadata that you can dump out of something. So, photo meta. Very cool, photo meta. Alright, and my pick is I'm just going to go ahead and, <clears throat> and throw in the Lens Baby Composer Pro. I know, Ron, you don't like it, but... <laughs> after all I said... After all you said <laughs> and all your dissuasion and all that, I'm still going to pick it. Um, and the the reason is I I do have a Lens Baby composer and it's pretty cool, but I don't I don't use it for you know standard shoots. It's typically kind of a photo walk thing for me, but it's kind of cool to just throw it on there every now and then and play with it. And the the main reason I'm making it my pick is because I I just want to give a nod to this innovation that people are doing outside of the major camera and lens manufacturers you know yeah. so you know craig strong is an independent inventor that is trying to do some cool things and you know kind of doing interesting things that no one else is doing and in and not only is he doing it but he keeps pushing forward and he started with the, you know the lens baby one i forget what the, the product name of it was but then now he's just getting better and better and now he's you know slowly but surely enhancing the product with metal and all this stuff so it's it's uh it not only i think it's a is a pretty cool product for photographers to add to their tool belt but it's it's also a nod to the independent inventor and innovation community around photography so so Lens Baby Composer Pro, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. <clears throat> and I agree. Yeah, now you do. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree with everything you said. And I, I am not anti-Lens Baby so much as I, I think I'm just not clever enough as a photographer to have figured out what it takes to, to make the really, really cool shots. So I'm looking forward to seeing what people point me to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm looking. Hopefully we'll be able to get Craig to, to talk about the history of the Lens Baby and and uh, what he was thinking when he put this thing together. So, All right, guys, we are at the end of another This Week in Photo. Sarah France, where can people go to find out more about you, see your work, and keep up with your exploits? Um, you can either go to my website, which is sarahfrance.com, or my blog, which you can get to from there. Um, you can also find me on Twitter, Facebook, all the usual places. My Twitter handle is Sarah France, no H in my first name, S-A-R-A-F-R-A-N-C-E, just like the country. Very cool. Yeah. All right. And Mr. Ron Brinkman, where are you at online? You can find me on Twitter, Ron Brinkman, M-A-N-N. Two N's. And Bruce Clark, what about you? You'll find me uh, posting. I try to post every week at my uh, blog, uh, which is at momentsindigital.com slash blog. Or I'm also on Twitter at uh, just Bruce Clark with an E at the end of Clark. All righty. And if you'd like to keep up with everything in the 
Swip Universe, just head over to thisweekinphoto.com. There you'll find links to our Facebook fan page, our Twitter page, and more. And if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can check out my blog at frederickvan.com or follow me on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Frederick Van. And with that, it is time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production, produced by Suzanne Llewellyn, with technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. The show's content contributor is Eric Horton.